Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unscripted Equity Curiosity. My name is Ami Joseph, Sector Head of Technology at Hedgeye. With me today is Andrew Friedman, Sector Head for Communications at Hedgeye, and Felix Wang, Sector Head for China at Hedgeye. And this is Unscripted Equity Curiosity Season 2, Episode 4, uh, for those keeping track. Um, and we today have this, uh, not much going on in the world, um, you know, just like uh, maybe like a war, uh, <laughs> a war, maybe a recession, um, a lot of things on, our, on my mind, and um, even maybe Peloton. So I, I want to like open it up maybe with like an investing thought process, which is Andrew and, and Felix, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I know I'm like the grandpa here and like I've got more, more experience doing all this, but tell me with your process, you know, how do you think about exogenous market uh, moments like this? I mean, Felix, you've had to deal with it a lot in the last two years, especially with government intervention in China, but like, how do you, what's your, tell me how you, you know, you see like a war getting announced and, you know, whatever it is, like some kind of exogenous factor, oil triples and, you know, price per barrel or whatever it is. Um, how do you, how do you like do that as a fundamental analyst whose job is actually to pick winners and losers within the fundamentals of the equities that you're attacking that you're that's in your focus and not at all like you know i remember this is like a, going back to the housing bubble like you know it's not like you guys are supposed to be or we are supposed to be experts in mortgage-backed securities so um so tell me tell me how you think about all that and um and andrew we'll start with you yeah like, i'll go first yeah no it's a good question right i mean so <clears throat> let's just go back in time right so let's we're coming out of uh, the mortgage crisis, the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. It's like 2011, 2013, right? And uh, we're kind of early in the recovery process, um, not yet quite back to expansion mode. Um, multiples were still fairly reasonable, um, you know, across tech and MySpace. And if you recall, Ami, it was like sovereign debt crisis, Fukushima. Uh, U.S. debt downgrade. It was just the markets were just getting whipped around like crazy from headline to headline. And it wasn't really fundamentally driven, right? Like stocks were getting hit. It was very factor focused. And I think, you know, looking back on that time, it created, you know, if you could have just tuned out all the noise and take advantage of those types of exogenous factors to focus on the fundamentals of the long-term timeframe, uh, you know, it, it creates a tremendous amount of opportunity. So does it, you know, create volatility in your portfolio? Does it, uh, is it painful, right? Is it difficult to be a portfolio manager or an analyst who's getting compensated off of the performance of your ideas to see these types of moves get whipped around? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and I think maybe back then, while there was a lot of uncertainty with regard like the macro and how well the economy is going to, how fat the pace of the economic recovery I think it was a little bit more obvious then that, you know, maybe some of these exogenous factors were just, just that exogenous. Right. Um, and if you had a three-year look, you could, you could benefit. Um, <clears throat> and so I think, you know, in that respect, my kind of approach to any type of like risk, like macro geopolitical uh, is, is to kind of use it to your advantage by focusing on the fundamentals within a long-term timeframe. Uh, of course, you know, you always have to ask yourself, how does this impact my company, right? And so 
you know, in the case of like, a, uh, you know, in, in my in my world, like, okay, so how does like a war in Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe impact my space? And, you know, there's some companies that are more domestically focused that really don't have any fundamental exposure to that. There's other companies that maybe they do. Maybe there's a, a TV manufacturer in Ukraine that supplies 30% of all panels, you know, maybe that that puts, you know, supply chains further at risk. Maybe, um, you know, it could, for some of these internet companies, it could result in lost users if the country's internet gets shut down or, you know, if heightened controls happen uh, within Russia, if Russia goes dark, right? So there's, you know, all these things that you have to always consider, um, you know, at least in the, in the shorter term, um, because there are risks. And then, you know, you basically have to think about that in terms of what your equity risk premium is, right? Not to take make it too academic, but you know you can think about it, right? Like, do I have to put a policy risk premium into kind of my discount rate, and then what does that mean to what I'm willing to pay? And then what is the probability that maybe that discount rate absolves or goes away over over a certain period of time, which it usually does? Um, <clears throat> but it's very very hard, I think, you know, from a fundamentalist standpoint, to really discount like something like a war in Russia. Um, obviously, it's a risk off event. It's bad for multiples. I think what makes this time a little bit different is that it's not just the, like, the, you know, it's amazing, like, you know, with earnings, right, with a company's earnings, you need a catalyst, or with this company stock, you need a catalyst, right? Like, so, um, that could be an earnings event, it could be a and a it could be a change management, it could be whatever, you know, and, and usually when it comes to macro, you, there's some type of catalyst, right? And this, it could be a war, it could be COVID, right? Like, the economy could be slowing, could be trending slower, but, you know, how do you get to a recession? You need some type of event. Right. We can go back to 9-11. We can go back to the, the, the mortgage crisis. We can go back to 2020 with COVID. Like nine times out of 10, there's some type of negative shock that triggers some type of economic contraction. Um, and just like for companies. Um, and so I think it is important to just be mindful of like how the macro can tie back to the fundamentals in that respect, because ultimately, if something happens that does trigger us to go into recession or it does impact the supply chain, you have to think about it in terms of how it impacts the companies. And I think in, in this situation also is a little bit unique too, in that I think we're, we could probably all agree that we're coming off of what's probably a, a, what is, is a bubble. We've talked about it before. Uh, it bubble has burst. A rising rate environment means that you go into a new regime for uh, you know multiples, right? Asset prices get revalued. There's a lot of price discovery, which is always a scary and difficult place to be in. When the market goes into price discovery mode or when liquidity factors, positioning, et cetera, et cetera, it starts to kind of rule the day. And so, you know, for me, the way that I think about that in terms of my positioning, my position monitor idea generation is it's reflected in kind of like, okay, well, what do I think is going to work in this environment that I also like the fundamental story, right? Okay, overweight telecom, you know, avoid the high multiple stocks. Like I love Roku, but guess what? Doesn't matter. Like, don't touch it you know, um, and I don't care, like if I miss the bottom, right, it doesn't matter to me, I'll wait until I have some clarity, and we'll go back later, because I'll avoid some pain in the short term. Um, and so it's kind of taking like a holistic approach. And, you know, I guess maybe putting a PM hat on or being a little bit more tactical in that sense, than just looking at like a straight fundamentalist view, viewpoint. Um, but I, you know, I, I know that's a long winded answer. Um, you know, it's, it's a very difficult environment that we're in currently. Um, but I think that there's ways that, you know, you could do it, you know, from a, it's an environment, these periods of time are when like the PM adds value, 
right? I mean, the PM always adds value, right? I'm not knocking PMs. I'm just saying like, it's a, it's a, we're in a period of time in a market environment like these where risk management, positioning, gross net exposures, long short exposures add a tremendous amount of value than individual stock ideas and positioning. It's less about what your best company is. It's more about what factors are going to work and managing risk within the portfolio to drive any type of alpha rather than just being a pure bottom-up stock picker. And that was the same environment that we were in in 2011, 2013. Like, screw your stock picks. Like, oh, you know, Fukushima headline. No, uh, it's stocks down 5%. You know, um, it's... It, it, it resolves itself, right? I mean, look, if we're going into a full-scale World War III, like, that's probably not priced in. Like, that's going to be a problem. But, you know, maybe, you know, I, I'm not an expert in Russia, I don't, you know, but, you know, if, if it this kind of comes and goes, you know, and we can, like, look through the valley of death into the back half of 22, and maybe inflation's not as bad. Um, you know, there isn't a war with Ukraine. Uh, comps get easier. Valuations of asset prices have already reset. Like, yeah, then you can start kind of focusing more so on the fundamentals and where you think, you know, things could possibly be over a 12 to 18 month duration. But as we've seen time and time again, in periods of uncertainty like this, everyone's duration gets brought back into tomorrow versus, you know, the last, this time last year when everyone's duration was extended to 2025. Um, and I guess the last point I'll make, and I'll throw it back to you, Ami, is like, I think COVID was a very interesting, like COVID is such an, like this whole two year period is just so fascinating for so many reasons, but you know, in the absence of any type of short-term clarity, given tons of stimulus coming out of COVID, it forced everyone to look out five years. And in the process of looking out for five years, prices went out, like prices reflect that five-year look when stocks are discounting mechanisms. And therefore, we had crazy valuations and the, and the fundamentals, especially on profits, you know, didn't match that of the pull forward of revenue. And so now what we're seeing is profits collapse because, you know, companies are now, you know, investing to meet the higher level of demand. And so effectively, all these companies were over earning tremendously. The street was extrapolating that into both valuations and margins. So you had peak valuations, peak multiples, you had peak multiples on peak operating margins on a peak demand forecasts that are proving to be wholly unsustainable and mean reverting. At the same time, we have all this geopolitical risk and the Fed's getting tighter. So you just tie it all together and you're like, oh crap, like this is probably a bear market. Like pretty sure. Like we got this, like, this whole ZERP 10 year period of time that we're in. You know, Netflix getting hammered, Facebook getting hammered, Fang getting taken to the woodshed, 20% down moves, wholesale re-ratings. It's, it's not healthy and it's a sign of a bubble bursting in my opinion. And so I know I kind of took that probably a little bit more broader and, you know, than, than the question was implied. But, you know, I, I think the takeaway is like you have to think about it in a very holistic framework and understand what your strategy is where your risks are and what your duration is and, and what do you want to achieve in this type of environment? Because there's a lot of risks, but with heightened risk comes incredible opportunities if you know you can have a longer term perspective. And I think that's what we're setting up here. And I think it's absolutely healthy. And I think, you know, valuations got extended and now they're coming back in. And 
you know, maybe we don't get back to 20, 30, 40, 50 times sales, right? Maybe Roku, like Roku probably never gets back to 500. If it does, it probably is not going to get back to 500 until, you know, 2030, right? This could be like literally the dot-com type bubble-esque situation where some of these prices, you know, if you bought in February 2021, you know, you won't get back to your cost basis break even until 2028. That's very possible. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't make good decisions today and position yourself for like the next three to five years. So that's kind of my overarching view. Hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, it brought up a lot of thoughts. Um, and I, I kind of want to go through them one by one. Um, with Fukushima, for example, and all of that, on uh, Greece and whatnot, um, one of the PMs that I admire most or whatever, you know, he, uh, you know, everybody worries about everything. Everybody's a macro tourist, as Keith likes to say, but he wasn't um, at that time, right? He just like woke up and bought growth. Like that's, he's a growth PM and his day job is finding good growth companies. Like he figures out the difference between the bad ones and the good ones. He's good at that. And he, gets long, the good ones. Um, and they don't always work out for him by the way, right away, by the way, he owned um, a massive position in a company that um, was a really interesting company where it was like literally flat for a decade um, and he kept it. <laughs> and then in the 11th year, it was the best, in 11th and 12th year it was the best, and 13th year, I think even, was the best performing stock in the S&P. Um, so, so, um, and I admire that, right? Like I admire the, like, he's like not gonna out sleuth the experts on Greece, whether Greece is going to go or not and things like that. And he just like bought growth in the 2008 bubble. Well, that wasn't about the debt crisis of 2008. Um, you know, market went down like 38%. He was down like 34, which or 35, I mean, which is still like better, and it just happens to be because he he tends to have some discipline around price. And so he sells things and he had some cash when everything went nuts. Um, but it wasn't like a hero's moment, right? Like that's still people's retirement savings and whatnot being down that much. So I think that's like... Um, I don't know, just putting some context around yeah, no, yeah, the debt I, crisis can be. Yeah. And then, sorry, I'll, I'll just one yeah, more thing no is yeah, sure. um, this, the, the, what we just had, um, I think you're right because it, like the 2008 was a debt crisis, um, which those are by the way, the worst because they literally like everything could go away. Like you could go back to, we could, we could, in the lows of 2008, we could have gone back to the barter system. I mean, it was, everything was broken. Um, debt is like the, the worst, the worst thing. Um, and when it goes south, like when leverage goes south, like, you know, when you just, just it just, it just uh, implodes everything. Um, what we have now reminds me, like you said, a lot more about 2000 because in the 90s, like especially the late 90s, like 98, 99, like you bought stocks as a retail investor um, because freaking everything went up and it almost like didn't matter. Like, okay, so if you bought a bad stock, it went up 40%, right? Like that was like, you're like, oh, I only got 40% mm, out of it. Sound, and, 
Sounds familiar. Fubo right. going from six to 60 in two months. Yeah. You know, like, and also, and also like there was the belief among retail investors that like you couldn't lose. Cause like look backwards the last 10 years, market always goes up. So there was, and I think those of us who've been on Twitter and Reddit in the last two years, we know that like this was a, ma- a big sentiment of the retail investor in the last year and a half was they couldn't lose because like we, the yeah I mean we, yeah we we did a whole podcast on it remember we talked about the yeah. whole Reddit craze yeah we spent like an hour on it for sure yeah so so I think that like this does have similarities um, to all of that and if it's like two thousand then you can't just like do the as much as I want it to be the moment where you wake up in the morning and you buy growth, just like, you know, the same way that, you know, that Greece was melting down and whatever. Um, and not, I'm, I'm not saying Russia, Ukraine is the, is the end of, end all, you know, it's the world war two, three or something like that. I'm just saying that like um, that this correction, like the, the, the hangover, the stocks that had a hangover after the, the bubble burst in 2000, I mean, they were hungover for a very long time. Um, yeah. Like, like I think Amazon was the first to recross its high. And how long did it take? Yeah. It took Amazon from 2000 high, um, like 80. It took Amazon to 2007 to cross the high. Yeah. Well, um, look, so- yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I love what you're saying. I'm sorry. I keep, I, like, I, I keep just it. wanting to like jump in. So no, I'm, please. I apologize. I'm like, I'm, I've been so fired up these past couple of weeks just because like, like this is like every analyst and investor, right. Has their style. They have their process. Right. And it's very important. I think for people that are listening to this and just in general, that you need to be very mindful and aware of what your process is, what your style is. And the reality is that everyone's style and process they're going to go in and out of favor, right? I used to do institutional uh, manager research, right? And when we would construct portfolios for pensions, funds, and endowments and foundations, right? It was always very important that we like we choose our managers based on their investment process that they would not they would be consider with, consi- consistent with their investment process. But we would know that hey, like look, I'm putting this high dividend defensive large cap value manager in this portfolio. I do not expect them to outperform, you know, in a rip roaring growth environment nor would I want them to. If they would outperform, that would be a problem, right? But I want them to be defensive, right? And because they have a role. And so the same thing can be implied, I think, to like investors and the way that we think about it. And, you know, for me, this is like a really good environment. Like the last six months have been fantastic. Like, and I've been really excited because it's just like this, like I have a, I tend to be a little bit bearish bias, but like this, my process works really, really well. And, you know, and it won't work like, you know, for a period of time, but, but I'm, I just bring that up because I want to like riff off of one of the points you just made before is like about like, is this the same time? Is this the time to buy growth? Like it, it is for some companies, but I think like what we're clearly seeing is that we're going back to the fundamentals, right? For so long growth at all costs has been rewarded. And I think that's partly due to kind of this ZERP, zero interest rate type of environment that we've been in, right? Reed Hastings saying, like, gaslighting investors and saying, like, if we have a huge, the more, the larger our free cash flow deficit, it's a, tr- a sign of tremendous success. 
And you believe it because you like Netflix was the best performing stock over a 10 year period and you made money. So yeah, you believe that. And over a long period of time, like you constantly get rewarded for that type of style of investing. And then it becomes ingrained. And then you start looking at different type of valuation methodologies. And you think about the world differently. And, and like, and those that thought about the world in a traditional sense, they get taken out to the woodshed. Like, I think David Einhorn's a great investor. I have a lot of respect for him, but like, and he hasn't been shy about his underperformance, but his style of investing has been out of favor for a decade, but he sticks with it. And maybe now it's an environment where it's actually going to work. And I guess that's kind of like the point that I just want to be very explicit about is that I think that we're going back to a focus on fundamentals and profits and cash flow and incrementals. And if your business has terrible unit economics or doesn't have a path to generating significant free cash flow, um, then you're going to get punished for it. And that's what we're just seeing in this last earnings season. And you're getting multiples just that are collapsing as a result. Um, and I think going forward, it's going to be more kind of like quality cash flow focused where value starts to outperform. I mean, you can go back. I, I remember doing like factor based analysis on fund managers looking out like 2000, like, like coming out of like 2000, like 99 to 2004, right? That bear market. And like there were value managers that were up. They did very well, but growth got absolutely crushed. Right. And I, and I really do think that we're like, that's probably the paradigm that we're in, especially if inflation is running higher, especially if interest rates are going higher. Um, and so, yeah, do you go out and buy like the like Roku or bombed out growth name profits of a small cap tech company? Like, yeah, you could probably do that and get a bounce. Um, and may, but like, I, I just, and maybe I'll be wrong, right? Like it's very possible, but my general view is like, I don't think, where like where we're going in the next five years is going to be where we've been in the last five years in terms of the playbook that works. And we trained up an almost an entire generation of young investors, including myself, that don't that only know buy the dip, that only know ZERP, that only know growth at all costs. And there's their capital decision, their capital allocators, decision makers, it creates reflexivity in markets on a generational standpoint. And I think fundamentally speaking, that is going to just exacerbate the kind of bear market scenario that I'm, I'm afraid that we're that we're currently in. Um, and so I don't think it's going to be a case of like we're going to correct 20, 30 percent and then, you know, rip roar back to new highs. And it's going to be like COVID 2.0. Um, I, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not sure. And I know I'm like ranting and I've like hijacked this entire call. So I apologize. I've just been like really excited and like. The, the premise of the conversation is just got me really jacked up. So I apologize for like yeah, hijacking it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last go around uh, of this in 2000, um, I mean, everything went down, uh, everything. But for example, ExxonMobil recovered sooner to their high and crossed it in 2004 versus Amazon, for example. Um, just looking at now, I mean, which one of those would you have rather to own in the last 20 years? I think it's pretty clear. Um, but Exxon today, you know, at a four and a half percent dividend yield and, you know, in the last month and a half is like crushing the S&P. Um, so I, I think um, the issue is like if there's a shift to yield, like what is that? 
Um, it's complicated. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily see like which, where an asset pool will inflect. It doesn't, it doesn't, you could just say energy and finance just the same oh, way. Oh, well, no, that's a, then, it's a, it's, it's a bear market. never the same that yeah, way. Yeah, but, but I think it's, I, yeah, I think it's a bear market, right? So like with your interest rates rising, like capital gets destroyed, right? Interest rates higher, asset prices down. Like everything gets taken out. It's a wholesale re-rating, which makes this really different, you know, in many ways. And also we're in a different economic backdrop, maturity, growth profile. There's so many reasons like where this is, you can't even draw parallels back to like previous high levels of inflation. It's just not comparable, even from a demographic standpoint. So like, I, 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 I do, like, I do think that like what we're seeing here today and why it's been so painful is because historically equities go down and rates go up, right? Buy treasuries. That's not working, right? It's just everything's getting destroyed. And I think that will eventually pivot. But like when you have, that's why inflation is so toxic. Stagflation is so toxic because it just destroys everything. It just destroys value. It destroys real purchasing power. And it's, you can't, you can't, do anything. And so that needs to get reset. And that's, I think, what we're seeing the Fed do from a macro standpoint, not to get all too macro, but like, I'm, I am passionate about it. But um, we'll see, I think, you know, energy's outperforming on me. I remember you and I had a conversation, we were joking, maybe a year ago, like, you know, eventually, like, you know, tech overweight, it's gonna, you know, you're gonna want to become an energy analyst, like, all the energy analysts were getting fired or, or switching to become tech analysts. And now it's like, maybe some tech analyst should become an energy analyst. Like I'm not yeah, saying run, that run the other way. Run. Yeah. 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 I'm not trying to be like dire. I mean, obviously all three of us like TMT, it's been a great run. Right. So like if, if this is the end of TMT, as we know it, like it's going to hurt us all to some extent. Um, maybe I need to figure out like how to value wells in Oklahoma or like whatever. But um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a very volatile environment. So I, I mean, I'm just glad that Hedgeye, we have like a macro process and, you know, can go both ways, you know, to try to help navigate it. But it's definitely not easy for most people, for sure. Yeah. Um, Felix, I'm sorry we didn't get to you. I know you have thoughts on the subject also, but um, I think we're going to be out of time at this point. Um, this is not a topic that I think will stay in a box. Like, I think we're going to have to revisit this one. Um, and uh, uncomfortable moments are, and shifts of thinking are hard. And you really have to test yourself across multiple durations and across multiple different ways. Andrew said fundamentals are changing. Actually, I would probably say, no, it's about valuation now and, and you know, shorter duration, I think is maybe... I don't know, maybe you'd agree that's what you were saying instead of fundamentals, but um, I still think being able to identify a company that's going to have massive penetration curve and go from, you know, one to 60 over the next, you know, decade, I think is still very appreciated and valued in this market. But I, but I do agree that maybe that, that effort to find those got over, you know, there were too many of those found, meaning like everything was a unicorn, you know, to, to, to look at the, the broader picture and use that term. Everything was a unicorn in a world where we all know like almost no one is a unicorn or real unicorn. So, yeah. And, and um, I know you have to, I know you have to hop back. I just want to clarify like 15 seconds on that point. Yeah. I, I think it's a new valuation paradigm. I think that there's still going to be great companies out there 
Um, I think that it's just, you know, you can't pay, you have to be very mindful of the price that you pay for those companies, right? And then you also have to not just focus on growth, you also have to focus on incrementals and cash flow and their ability to scale their business over time, right? Because I, I, you know, this whole period of where like, like massive fund, funding, massive free, free cash flow deficits for periods of years, it, you know, it, this whole disruption concept that actually may not be sustainable, right? Um, and, and that's what I think some of these, you know, at least equity prices are starting to reflect. And to your point, that just all comes back down to like an argument about valuation at the end of the day. So um, I just want to clarify. I know you have to hop though. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this has been episode four, season three, a uh, season two of unscripted equity curiosity. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.